This episode is brought to you by Crater Lake Taxi. Competent drivers, clean vehicles, on time, anytime. Crater Lake Taxi, 541-333-3333. I am Citizen 44. Please listen carefully. Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. I have been diagnosed with strep throat. I finally decided to take myself to the ER, or rather have Ye take me in the taxi to the ER, because I had excruciating pain in my head and my throat. And uh, it was kind of freaking me out a little bit. So I decided not to screw around and uh, get it taken care of. Now, as you know, I do not have medical insurance, but of course I was not turned away, and uh, I expect to call tomorrow, being Monday, from Asante Medical Group, uh, who will guide me through the process of uh, seeing if I qualify for Oregon Health Plan, which I'm sure I do based on the little money that I've made over the past 60 days due to both smoke and illness. So I'm kind of looking forward to that, and it changes up the whole game for me, potentially, as far as Thailand. If, in fact, I do qualify for Oregon Health Plan, which I feel that I do, I will no longer go to Thailand to have that procedure and have that hernia procedure done right here and soon, before I go to Thailand. So uh, in many ways, this is going to work out as everything does to my benefit. The $1,500 to $2,000 American money I would have to spend in Thailand to have my hernia repaired uh, no longer has to be spent. And since I've lost a ton of money, averaging about $100 a day, and I think I've lost about seven days worth of work, there you go. It's all kind of a trade-off. So I figure I need about about $1,000 for the month in Thailand, which covers everything, and... Uh, that's about 30,000 baht, which is what I made as a teacher per month. And so I think that'll work out great. Of course, I do have to recover what I've not made, and, uh, and I'll figure that out. The other cool thing is, potentially, that my son Sam's birth mother, Tressa, is coming for a visit, I think. Uh, Val sent me a text letting me know and asking me if I had yet found someone to occupy my apartment while I'm gone in November. And I told her, of course, I'd much rather have somebody in here that I know than uh, someone I don't. So that would be really cool if Tressa could stay here. Val will foot the bill for my rent and cover me. And uh, again, that's more savings of money that's not out of my pocket. So I've told you before, I get what I want, and I do. And, And so this is all part of the plan of uh, making it a little easier for me. Uh, I am feeling a little better, and uh, the antibiotics, of course, have helped, plus the uh, hydrocodone. I was given about a dozen tablets, which really are incredible, and now I see why people get addicted to uh, pain medication, narcotics. Uh, I won't, but they definitely have helped with the extreme pain of my head and my throat, And uh, I I gave a few of them up to Val for her period pain stuff, headache things. 
And so that's all good. And speaking of antibiotics, uh, you know, it's crazy, man. The 44 thing is hardcore. I was in the car uh, in front of Rite Aid, going to go pick up my prescription uh, for my antibiotics and pain medication. And I'd been given two starter packs from the ER with uh, two doses of antibiotics and a couple doses of the pain meds. And I, I went to go take uh, the antibiotics and looked at them more closely and noticed that each one had a 44 on it. So it's unavoidable, this 44 thing. Even on the bottle of uh, Benadryl that I purchased as a counterbalance to the itchiness caused by the hydrocodone that I was given, uh, right on the bottle there was another 44. So 44s all around, baby. They're, they're never in short supply. You know, this further supports why I am Citizen 44. I mean, I may perhaps be manifesting these things on my own, which is fine, but they're there, and I'm sharing them uh, with my Facebook audience because I need witnesses, man. People are blown away. Uh, even uh, while I was in uh, the parking lot of the Rite Aid, uh, the battery in the Lincoln died. So I had to call Robin, one of the other drivers, to bring the van uh, to give me a jump start. Uh, after uh, we got it started, I went over to Joe's house for him to swap out the battery. He said he had a battery in the garage, and he was hoping that uh, it would work. Well, he brought the battery out, and I looked on top of the battery, and there etched in the top, a number 44. Well, unfortunately, the battery was too small and, frankly, just didn't work, so he had to go buy another battery. But he did. He went, spent $100 and got a six-year battery, which will probably last longer than the Lincoln. And, uh, and he got me back on the road. So 44 is everywhere, man, all the time, every day, in every way. Just got off the phone with Boo. Boo was on her way to the dentist to have her stitches removed from her wisdom tooth surgery. She was a little nervous, but she looked so cute and she's so sweet. And she made like an organic salad for the dentist. And anyway, she'll be fine. Um, what else is happening around here? Sam, uh, my son Sam, he's been sick and uh, he wasn't getting any relief. So uh, they prescribed him some antibiotics. And I hope he can get better quickly. Zoe was sick, but she's fine now. I spoke to her on the phone yesterday. All seems to be good. She's doing fine in school. She's caught up. And, uh, and she, she seems to be enjoying this year. She's got some fun classes she likes, and, and that's really important. And, of course, she has her friends, which are uh, her most important commodity, her friends, besides her mom and dad and brother. So Zoe seems to be doing well. I uh, spoke to my parents in the past couple days. They're all doing well. My sister took my parents for their anniversary to the Universal Studios tour, which uh, I told you that my children and ex went uh, when they were in Los Angeles. And uh, my sister sent me a couple of pictures of my dad being a goofball and looking like he's having a good time. Uh, today's show is with uh, dear friend Allison Smith. I met Allison when I first moved here to Ashland at the Dutch Brothers drive through coffee shop. She's an extraordinarily beautiful looking woman, a very talented singer-songwriter, and... Uh, and I spent a lot of time in the studio taking pictures of her. 
and she did uh, some trades with me whereby she provided makeup services uh, for women who wanted to have their photography done and, uh, and I gave her pieces for her portfolio. I've got uh, some good shows coming up. Uh, number uh, 22, which is halfway to 44, is going to be a repeat, my second show uh, with Mandy Valencia, where we are going to be stupid rip stoned and uh, smoking weed the whole time. So it's going to be the weed episode. And we got a couple of shows coming up after that. I'm not going to say who yet, because you never know. Things get jumbled around. I or recently have changed my mind about a couple of poll positions for people uh, based on content. So, But we definitely have people in the hopper. Uh, tomorrow I've got uh, uh, Daniel coming in. Daniel uh, plays cello in the park. Beautiful cello player. Fantastic. Uh, always has a captive audience, and uh, he seems to have a lot to want to talk about. So uh, it should be a fun conversation with Daniel tomorrow. And then we have, uh, who else we have coming up? We've got uh, Greg Gobelt, a dear friend, a musician, real estate agent here in town, very popular personality here. Uh, he'll be a lot of fun to chat with. And uh, I believe we have one more on Wednesday. I'm meeting with an 18-year-old artist, Flora, here who does uh, this Japanese anime uh, manga kind of illustration work. She's very talented. So we're going to talk with her on Wednesday. Uh, that's it for the week right now. I've got Daniel Sperry, Greg Gobelt, and uh, Flora and her mom uh, on Wednesday. We'll be doing that as a remote uh, conversation from Cafe 116, where she is currently hanging her work. Everything else is pretty groovy. Again, I haven't been in the taxi and it's actually been really nice. Uh, I think I may have mentioned in my last show that I told somebody my very last fare, uh, Ron the Huff, that I fucking hated my job. I think I was just on the verge of becoming very sick, and I was tired, and that was just an automated, uh, non-thoughtful response to my quietness uh, in the cab. You know, I've gone back to juicing. I, I, I need to get my immune system back up, so I, I did a little shopping. I haven't gone out much since I've had this strep throat thing, but I did walk myself to the co-op, picked up some uh, healthy greens and some carrots and some juice, and uh, getting back on the health kick, been eating a grapefruit every morning. Uh, it's supposed to be excellent for dropping the LBs. We'll see how that works out. I guess uh, balancing out with the ice cream I had, a little scoop of uh, mint chocolate chip in a, in a cone. I had that this afternoon, a little treat for my sore throat. Oh, here's something kind of funny. Andy Weir uh, wrote the book The Martian that became a film. He also wrote a short piece called The Egg uh, that became uh, internationally renowned. Uh, it was a piece that he wrote about dying. It's very good. I, I recommend you look it up. It's, it's a very sweet piece that uh, uh, takes you through the experience of, uh, of a young man uh, dying. Anyway, BoJack Horseman, uh, which is an awesome animated uh, series starring Will Arnett, uh, started a new season this past week, and uh, I binge-watched the whole thing in two days, and it was great. Clever writing, really excellent animation. There's, there's, I really enjoy it. It's very deep stuff, and I always noticed one of the executive producers was who I thought Andy Weir. But it was really Andy Wheel, W-E-I-L. 
and uh, I mistakenly thought it was Andy Weir. So I had sent Andy an email to ask him if I can use uh, a piece of his uh, uh, literary piece, The Egg, for a book I was writing entitled Citizen 44, which I never finished. Uh, but he said it would be okay, and uh, and that was very kind of him, even though I guess it's public domain, and he couldn't have really stopped me from using it, but I wanted to certainly get his permission. And then we had some back-and-forth emails, and so I was started watching BoJack, and I noticed this Andy Wheel name, thinking it was Andy Weir, and I sent him an email saying, Hey, man, I just want to tell you uh, your show is great, uh, and you're even more of a genius being part of this project. He sent me back an email pretty immediately uh, saying, ha, he happened to be watching the show on his computer when he got the email, but in fact, it was not him who was such a genius. It was this Andy Wheel. Uh, but that led up to a back and forth email uh, talking about how much we both appreciated the show BoJack Horseman. And, uh, and then I, I mentioned to him that I was doing a podcast and that it would be cool if he was my first bona fide celebrity to do the podcast and ask him if he would mind listening. And he said he did not have time with a sad emoticon. So I wished him all the best of luck. Uh, he's got a new book out, and, uh, and I'm sure that'll probably made, be made into a, a motion picture. I believe it's a New York Times bestseller already. And... Uh, I don't remember the name of the book. So, ha, huh, I don't have to advertise for you, Andy, because you don't have time to listen to my show. So there you go. That's pretty much it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's get on with the show. I'm here with Allison Smith. Allison Smith, who I used to call, what was your, your nickname? Slayer. Slayer, because... She is so pretty. Such a pretty baby. Anyway. Oh, thank you. <laughs> when she was 17, 18, I would go through Dutch Brothers and buy a beverage and try and convince her to allow me to photograph her. Mm -hmm. with, you were on 4th Street by Noble in a little convertible mm -hmm. with some dude. Eric. Is that his name? Eric? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Weren't you that age then? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, so I know I was 18. Okay. I was 18. So I remember in that moment is when you said yes from that day, okay. whenever that was, when I saw you, Right. is when we scheduled a time for the first time of umpteen times with tens of thousands of pictures. Yes. No, I probably took 10,000 pictures of you. At least. Yeah. Well, I think what made me finally decide to let you take pictures of me is you came through with your son. And then I realized, oh, oh he's like a married dude with kids. This right. Is, you know. Which I mean, I was. you seem like a nice guy anyway, but I was. No, no, I sure. understand the apprehension. <laughs> some fucking stalking single 50-year-old piece of shit. Yeah. I get that. But well, but it worked out really good because at the time I wasn't going to school for aesthetics and I was an aspiring makeup artist. So it right. worked out really great that we could do the exchange of me doing makeup for you. And Is that what working, ended up happening? Working on my portfolio. Yeah, when we were in re your Red Eye Studios back behind your house. Wow, you remember the I name. I would recruit models to come and it was really fun. We it had some good time. It was super fun. Even before you, you know, I was taking nudes of uh, women free just so they could express themselves in a very safe environment. But it was really nice 
that you came along mm-hmm. and started added doing that more other, fashion and editorial. Yeah, and, and you doing your badass makeup stuff and yeah. drinking wine till three in the morning. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, we definitely party too. My wife and kids are asleep in the house. I'm <laughs> fucking living the LA life in this garage converted into a studio. So we took tons of pictures, and actually you helped me become a much better photographer because you had experience. And in turn, I became a much better makeup artist. And which in turn, you became a much better friend. Mm -hmm. So we became very close very quickly through that exercise. And I'm 33 now, so he's known me for almost half of my life, which is kind of cool. And what's even cooler that I told you today, and this is the fucking truth, you don't look any different. <laughs> Most people that I know in this town uh-huh. don't look any different over the past 15 years. For sure. I was trying to recollect at what point you had decided to move back to San Francisco and I decided... So I moved to San Francisco when I was 20. I know that for sure. And well, I, that must... It's I had I my got 21st. A divorce. Right. And that was what year approximately? 2004? Seven. Oh, so you came a few years later. That's right. I came up... That was when I came back, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. So it was 2007 when you finally left, but I moved to San Francisco. I had my 21st birthday a few months after I moved there, I remember. And then I came up here for a visit, and then you were moving back, right? Yeah, I moved back yeah. for six okay. months. That's right. And yeah. uh, and then you got me the job at, at Emerging Blue. Yeah. You had applied for an internship. Is that what happened? Yeah, and you went in, and, the, and uh, Scott was like, dude, you're so not an intern. You, you know, you had all this, you know, talent acquisition history and everything, yeah. and he wanted to get you on board. Yeah. Then you had the graphic design stuff, which he needed, and then I came in as the social media piece, like, which wasn't even on the radar at the time, which is crazy. You're thinking, yeah. I mean, recruiting now is 100% social media based. Right. And it was just starting. Everybody was losing their jobs. Yeah. I actually felt guilty because I was making great money, but there was nothing happening. We couldn't make the ball roll. Right. Very quickly yeah and I didn't feel good about that and yeah. ended up losing my job mm-hmm it all of a sudden it just it hit so hard because the overhead was so extreme I mean I, that's that was a short-lived scene over there yeah. for sure but it was fun no it was it. totally fun and uh, I and ended up having to literally leave my apartment in the middle of the night and move back to Ashland yeah well, actually it was 2010 I did something very similar I was living in an apartment near where you used to live in Knob Hill. $950 a month. Note that. Because those same apartments wow. are about three grand now. Well, mine, even back then, was twelve fifty for right. a studio. That was cheap. Well, not cheap. No, but, but it was che- it was the cheapest cheap thing in now. town, man. Yeah. Now it's unheard of in that area, for sure. Right. My parents, you know, they went to college here back in the 70s. So oh, they, they did. They had an apartment downtown in Ashland for $72 a month. Your parents had an apartment in downtown Ashland yeah. for 72 a month. Where was it? Do you remember? They said you know? it was down here, and they, they I feel like it was it was on this block over above the what was the French restaurant that did they finally close that old French Chateau Lynn? It was Chateau yeah, Lynn. I could have sworn place, that's though. what they really oh, said. Oh, maybe. It was. Yeah. So when did they come here? I feel like they said 75. They were in Portland prior to that. My mom is from the coast in Oregon, so, and my dad is from Sonoma, California. He okay. moved up to the coast with his family. Are they both Caucasian people? Uh, my dad is well. I mean, in general, yes. But my dad, my dad's uh, mother was Italian, and my dad's dad is Danish, and then my mom's oh. mom is full-blooded Bohemian. Yeah, so, yeah. Like when it was still a country, her grandparents fled. I am a true gypsy. Well, that makes <laughs> as sense. If you, as if you couldn't tell. No, but now <laughs> another piece of the puzzle has gone into place, which answers some questions about things that you do, yes. and the way you are, and approach life, and things like that. Right. And you're from here? No. Port Townsend, Washington. Okay, I, I don't yeah, think I Yeah, but I, I left that. when I was around 11 to go on our first journey in a motorhome across the country. 
and then again on the sailboat down through Mexico and the Sea of Cortez and across the Sea of Cortez. So yeah, tell me about that because your dad is... Is a retired chiropractor, but he became very ill with multiple sclerosis in um, the mid-90s. And when he started feeling better, uh, he decided to shut everything down, sell the house, and his dream was to sail around the world. And so my parents sold the house and my mom quit her job and we traveled. Hmm. So you're, you you were born in Port Townsend, Washington? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what did your parents do at that time? Was your dad a chiropractor? My then? dad's a chiropractor and a musician. Professional so, musician? Well, he was playing in bands and, yeah. you know, things like that. And we were always at an open mic or at a show or... And then my mom was working as a teacher up there. She was a grade school teacher. Yeah, what and grade? I think it was like kindergarten through third or fourth grade, something like that, because it was this really small area that she taught in right. um, near Clackamas County. is like Chimicum or something like that. I can't remember the exact town. Squim. Oh. She was in Squim. Did yeah. she teach at the school that you... Went she to? homeschooled me, actually, oh, she did. most she of my you. life. Okay. And I went to public school for a very brief period of time, and I found that because of my homeschool education, I was a little too advanced for what they were teaching in public schools. Right. So I took all those packets to prove that I knew everything, and that's how I got my diploma. Yeah, I don't have a degree. I mean, I didn't go to college after right. that. I just went to, to beauty school. and It's know. not just beauty school. It's beauty school. <laughs> beauty school's fucking hard. Yeah. No matter what anybody tells you, beauty school is hardcore. And how long yeah. did you attend beauty school? Um, I went the first time for um, eight months and then the second time two years. It sounds funny to even say beauty school. Yeah, cosmetology, whatever. But I never did the nails, so I don't like to say cosmetology because right, I've never cause I don't do nails. I don't Excuse do Excuse me. Nails. Just the hair and the face. Yeah. Okay, so you're in Port Townsend, mm-hmm. and how long were you guys living there? Well, I mean, I was born there, and then I lived there until I think I was about 11 is when we started traveling. And, we, you know, we started our, our journeys in a motorhome. How many um, of you were there? It was me and my dad and my brother and my mom. And we traveled. So you just have one brother? Yes. Okay. How yeah. old is he? Actually, I was just up there this last week, and I could have sworn he's 36, but he said he's 37. So we're like three, a little over three years apart. 30, you know, so three and a half years, something like that. You guys close? Yeah, super close. Yeah, cool. And then I've got um, my two nephews who are five and six now, and they're adorable. Where do they live? And up in Kalama. Uh, Washington, which is right outside of Vancouver. Okay. Ish. I mean, it's like, you know, across the, the Oregon border, not very far. Right. And he actually works in Portland for the labor union. He's the head business agent negotiator for the labor union of the whole state. He's a badass. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's pretty much on the phone, you know, dealing with negotiations and dealing with labor issues all day. Right. And a lot of contracts, a well, lot of things like that. He must be a badass to have that job. Yeah, and he really is for the people, which is why they elected him, even though he's about half the age of the average teamster. And he really looks out for everybody. Cool. And how often do you get to see him? We do a family vacation up near Bend every summer like in Sun River and so I yeah. see them there including my mom and my grandma and everyone but since I've been in San Francisco it's been more inconsistent right. I feel like now that I'm moving out of San Francisco believe it or not I will be maybe able to visit more because San Francisco is a difficult place to get to and from for whatever reason it's more expensive to fly out of there it's just a little bit how long have you been there in the city I moved back in 2015 mm. so it's been three years and it's been an interesting few years. 
I did enjoy living in the city. It's great for a while. San Francisco, unfortunately, now is having a very sad moment. She's a little tired. She doesn't look so good. Well, that's because she's got too much plastic surgery. That bitch is starting to look fake. <laughs> she's getting that, that Ed Lee touch that's, you know, not too favorable. It's, it's not and sexy. It's not. And the development's out of control. The community is, uh, is gravely affected by all of it. And then, you know, of course, the... The SF Staples, all the cool spots that we love so much, are just, just I mean, right. being torn down by the minute. So rather than sit around and watch it happen, I'm out. Yeah, yes. and it sucks because it really, in a way, it's kind of like, okay, if we want to keep San Francisco at all the way that it is, people kind of have to stay. Some people have to stick around. But that's but what happens with gentrification is, is it's unavoidable that you are changing the demographic. Yes, and, and when, you, when you decide that you want to live... A life that is at least comfortable. It's very difficult to do there. The amount of rent that you have to pay, what you have to commit yourself to in terms of making money is. Yeah. I'm just over it. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, I hear you. I don't want my whole life to be about making money anymore. I got chased out by the Muni bus, so I didn't have to make. That's it right. We almost hit you and Zoe the first yeah. time. That, but that was. I mean, that was actually when SF was cool. It was cool. That, but that was the end of cool, as far as I'm concerned. That was the end. That was like early 2000s. Yeah. 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 It was. You know. That was. Well. That was the dot bomb. The dot bomb. That's right. When because, everyone left. Yeah, because that was yeah. uh, when uh, I was working for March 1st, and they went from 10,000 employees to zero in one year. So that's the bubble that burst. That was the bubble before this bubble. Now, this bubble, I don't know. I mean... You don't think, see, that's what everybody thinks. That's why it's always a fucking but, catastrophe. But that other one, though, how long did that one last? It was like 96 to like 2000. Yeah. I jumped in the bubble at around 1999. Yeah. And then I got to roll for a year. Yeah. It wasn't sustainable, and it's not sustainable. I mean, people are moving, as I'm sure you know, from all over the country, all over the world. Literally, I don't meet a single person in San Francisco now, a new person, that isn't a direct connection from a very close friend Mm -hmm. that hasn't just moved there. Oh, I just moved here. It's that intense of that many people coming. I mean, if anything... The culture that already exists in San Francisco is definitely impacting those who were not exposed to that kind of a culture or community before. So, you know, it's almost like I would rather see those people, quote unquote, you know, people who who come from backgrounds that are not as open and not, you know, not as conscious, conscious, you know, and being exposed to that and realizing that it is cool and that it is the way we should be. So maybe that's part of the reason, because there's just, I mean, there's, we had 100,000 people move into San Francisco in the last three and a half years, is what they're guessing. And that's just San Francisco. Right. Silicon Valley, the whole surrounding area. I mean, Oakland is so nice. Oakland's like the old San Francisco. It's like super cute and, you know, and, but it's changing. It's part of it. And again, like, you know, I'll, I'll, there's a millennial poison that's happening for sure but it's interesting as a as a club goer and as a person who's in the music industry and someone who's out a lot frequently and i get to experience the impact of what this culture is against sort of ours or what it looks like up against what we're trying to do right and i you know i find myself having to school people sometimes you don't behave like that like you know like one one young millennial that was from i don't know where was on the dance floor swinging his beer around just getting everybody wet with the beer you know, and I'm like, you know what? This is our house. This is where we come to let loose and have a good time. We love our music. Don't come in here and behave like that. Right. You know, and, and believe it or not, he actually was receptive to it, you know? Not in all cases would that be the case. Right. But in any case, I'd rather see them there 
and being exposed to people who are part of something that is cool and interesting and innovative than to be just continuing to live their life the way that they are. Even if they're coming in and maybe impacting it in a negative way, it's our responsibility to show them that this is why we do what we do. Tell me about the traveling thing with leaving yeah. Washington. Where well, did you that, go? We took the motor home from Washington State all the way down to Florida and then back up. So that took about a year and we stopped all over. I mean, we, you know, I went How to... How was that? I went to NASA. I went to Biosphere 2. I went to Disney World, Disneyland. Did, I mean... I did it all. We went to New Orleans. We went. How'd your parents swing it financially? Well, my dad made a lot of money when he was, you know, when he was a chiropractor. Yeah. So I, we bought a very cheap old motorhome and lived in it. Right. What kind um, was They it? owned the house that they lived in too and sold that. It was a Pace Arrow, from your classic from like the '70s that has like the orange and the brown right. everything inside. Yeah, you know, yeah. Very retro. Yeah. It was cool. You know, it was comfy, big. You know, and I was at the right age. My brother was a budding teenager, and so for him, it was it was harder. Right. There was a lot of tension there between him and my father. He didn't want to do anything. I was, of course, I was always down to go explore, and wherever we were, I wanted to experience it. Right. It's pretty magical for me, really. I was just like, all these cool experiences. You were how old? Eleven. Oh, you were eleven. Yeah, okay. about eleven at that time. Okay. And then we came back, and then, uh, you know, we well, we came all the way back up to Washington briefly, um, and then we were not there long and then we went, we got on the boat and then we started sailing the boat. Where'd the boat come from? So my dad had had the boat already for several years and had been working on it. Right. So getting the, it ready, getting it ready. Yeah. And, uh, I remember at one time he was so sick, he was, you know, bedridden and in a wheelchair. And I remember actually trying, you know, us all going down there and my mom and some friends actually lift physically lifting him on the boat. Because was that he, from his MS? Mm-hmm, uh-huh. Cause he wasn't able to move. Yeah. And so when he did finally, you know, start feeling better, and that's a, that's a whole story in itself. I mean, he. You mean the MS? How? Yeah, how he was able to sort of recover more. How or less. old was he when he contracted it? Uh, forty. God, 42. Wow, maybe? what a shot in the face, right? Yeah, really crazy. You know, he was running across the street one day, I guess, and his leg wouldn't work. And he thought, that's kind of weird, you know, and then he went to the neurologist and, you know, it was a downward spiral from there, but... And it got progressively worse? It, well, so bad that he was, that he couldn't walk. He oh, was in a wheelchair, yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah, about yeah. a year. He went into this health food store one day and the guy that was working there was standing behind the counter and the guy goes, oh, you have MS, don't you? My dad was like super sick, was like, yeah, you know, and the guy said, so do I. And my dad was like, what? Because the guy's like perfectly healthy standing there and he wrote down a series of books to read. Yeah. Deepak Chopra, Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. That's the one that stands out to me that, that I really remember because I... The picked, Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. Mm-hmm, from Deepak Chopra. Okay. And Deepak's stuff is very... I don't know if you've read any of his books, but it's very mind-body-spirit connection. Sure. And I think my dad had really lost touch with a lot of those things. Uh. So he began to change the way that he thought about things and, you know, essentially healed himself that wow. way. Wow. Yeah. How about that? How about that? How about that? Yeah. I mean, he still has it. It's still there. Yeah, it's but still, it's but not it's, controlling him now. No, I mean, and considering he's 65 now, he's just now starting to have some symptoms again. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, so he's, I mean, he's old now. Yeah, there's nothing you could do nothing about Nothing you can do about that. stuff, yeah. We're talking about a disease that floors people usually in a couple of years and yeah. it takes them down, paralyzes you. How brilliant that he ran into that cat, huh? Right. He's yeah. a musician? Because I know musician. you're a musician, singer, songwriter, yeah. Yeah. And, and that maybe came through some genetic patterning of... We worked on music from the time I was old enough to talk. Right. You know, it comes obviously just from genetics as well. It was like my everyone in my family has been a singer-songwriter, pretty much. Singer-songwriters and oracles, apparently. What kind of success did your father have? 
the crazy thing with his story, and it's kind of interesting with how things are intertwining with me now spiritually, is that he wanted to pursue music as a career, but my grandfather would not allow that. Mm. My grandfather was very, very strict. You know, he'd come out of the Navy, you know, he used to uh, fly planes and, you know, lived through World War. He was pretty hardcore, very strict. And this is like, you know, my brother's growing up in the 60s. So there's a lot of, you know, quote unquote fears around, you know, drugs and things like that. And my grandpa said, you absolutely cannot pursue music. You have to choose something else. So he chose alternative medicine, which was cool because that is more closely aligned with his belief system and who he is, you know. But he always did the music thing on the side, but he wasn't able to really take it seriously. And so he suppressed that that side of himself. And he would continue to do it, but never pursue it. So he cultivated it with me from the time I was very small. And uh, I'm grateful for that because he taught me how to play guitar and the keyboard, which neither I do well, more importantly, just how to be a singer-songwriter and how to sort of own that part of myself and identify myself that way. So he's very talented, Mm. you know, and he could play anything. I mean, my dad can play the sax, the drums, the keyboard, Mm. the guitar, I mean, and well, you know, when you, when you're not fulfilling your I don't necessarily want to say purpose, but your passion, you know, there is a part of yourself that, you know, you suppress and suppress. Eventually something's going to happen. You're going to get sick. Your life is going to, you know, something is going to be a major hard hit in your life. that's going to traumatize you because you have not been honoring that part of yourself. And I think that that is sort of what happened to him. Mm. You know, he was working in, in the practice. He was not happy in his career. I mean, he was good at it and successful, very successful. He was like in the top 2% of the county as far as income, doing well. But he, you know, Success was and not, happiness. Yes. Yeah. Things. And very stressed. I mean, yeah. very, very. And, and stress brings on a lot of these autoimmune things as well. Sure. Which, you know, and then manifestations of not fulfilling your, your own passions as right. we were just talking about. So... So yeah, he cultivated it in me, which I'm really grateful for. Um, but the the part about it that's been hard is that, you know, when my relationship with him got weird, when him and my mom began to separate and I sort of, you know, encouraged my mom to separate from him because he was living in Mexico and, you know, I was afraid he was going to liquidate everything and, you know, take... Why was he living in Mexico and your mom living... Well, you know, with the MS, it was, you know, the weather. When it would get cold, he couldn't handle it. Why did they live together in Mexico? I was here at the time. I was young and I... But, I mean, I I was steadily taking off and about to leave, so... And I, you know, was going to school and things like that. Right. So it was, a, it was probably more about me than anything else. But then it wasn't about me. It was about them not wanting to be together, right? right. At the end of the day, they're much happier people not to right. I would have asked them to end it much sooner if, you know, if, if I had really any say in it. But right. um, my relationship with him just got so weird after that that it actually was hard for me to work on music Got weird at all. why? Detached? Like, yeah, I mean, he kind of disappeared then. Yeah. For like two years, I barely talked to him, yeah. which was really weird. Yeah, he was down in Mexico living on the boat okay. and just chilling out. He bought a house and, you know, yeah. just kind of went MIA. Okay. And, um, you know, had got a girlfriend down there and, you know, it was just... Started a whole new life. Started a whole new life. But, I mean, totally cut everyone out of it yeah. as well, which was hard for me to deal with because, you know, I was so close with my dad. And so in the music piece, I mean, it was like I couldn't, I'd go to pick up the guitar and then I'd get really emotional and I couldn't do it. I stopped working on music. I stopped writing. I mean, for like, for years, I I didn't take it seriously at all. And it's only been recently over the last two years that, and really, really only seriously over the last year that I started taking it seriously and actually identifying with it again. Interestingly enough, I was really sick with Crohn's disease over those years where I wasn't working on music. So why why now? 
I've been inspired, you know, I, uh, well, I went to Burning Man, I had trauma that occurred, you know, major heartbreak, major, um, you know, my grandfather dying was a, that was last uh, April. So it was like all these things within like a few month period, very, very traumatizing uh, scenarios that sort of spun my life out of control. And that at the time I was, you know, making a lot of money and I had a really nice apartment in Pacific Heights and I was, you know, thought I was successful or whatever, but really I was just kind of working and living and just kind of existing. I wasn't really, I wasn't doing anything creative. You were just in a routine. I was in a routine. I was yeah. in a rut. Yeah. And uh, and I was sick still too. Yeah. I mean, I was had really bad Crohn's flares. Did and, the CBD stuff help you with that? So I didn't start the CBD until, you know, it sort of entered my life right around the time when all this other good stuff did. You know what I mean? It was like once I started pursuing my, my passion, things started coming into my life and that was something that was just handed to me by a friend you should try this you know and it's also when I started saying yes to things instead of oh I don't know uh, uh," when I stopped resisting things and just Uh, saying yes to things I found that they were presented to me for a reason right so instead of looking for things I just allowed them to, to come to me yes, instead. Good. Now it's just like the music. Now I don't I don't look for inspiration. It just comes. Of course, because the real stuff it's is all not there already. To be sought out. It's you just have to be available. It's in here. Well, I just too. I talked about it on the show. I just put up a show yesterday, and I talked about um, because there's the law of attraction. Mm-hmm. Well, I came up with the law of availability because you cannot receive unless you're av- you're available. Right. So even though there's a lot of wonderful things going on. They can't get through whatever this veil of doubt and things you got happening. Yeah. So until you become available, you can't receive. So true. Yes. But how do you become available? How do you know you're unavailable? Mm -hmm. How do you get to a point to be so aware that you're aware that you have not been aware before you were aware? Right. Totally. (laughs) Well, and I mean, so is true. You know, I think we learn a lot in our relationships about being open, being vulnerable, being on the receiving end, but also understanding that you can't be, you know, you can't receive until you are present and and also. So, I mean, it really just kind of comes down to willingness to to learn, be open, and be open to love and those things too. Right. I mean, I'm healthier than I've ever been. I'm broker than I've ever been. Well, Um, I think that's an interesting combination. Yeah. Because more money, more problems. The real wealth that you have (laughs) is in the fact of your health. Yeah. And, the and rest in the of music. Yeah, but and, and that other stuff cannot really bring you happiness other than the fact that we're pinned between this, I need to be able to pay for a place to live and some fucking food. Right. And my utilities and any kind of expenses associated with living. Yeah. Which shouldn't Survival. even be. Well, Survival that shouldn't stuff. be. You right. shouldn't have to survive. We're not fucking out in the jungle. There's plenty of shit for everybody. You should just be able to make music. Yeah. And do whatever you want to help other people. Yeah. Then there's no issues. This is yeah. all getting what we need. Right. Then you don't have to get Crohn's disease or MS mm-hmm. because you're not living your passion because mm-hmm. you're taken care of so you can live your passion. Exactly. Which means everybody which, fucking benefits if from everybody that. Everybody's doing the same thing. Of course. Flourish, which yeah, this is not utopia. Is, this is real yeah. possibility yeah. based on a fundamental appreciation mutually of each other. Totally. And a, a, a proper education. Yes training socialism would be great (laughs) well we can put any kind of thing on it that we want to but unfortunately that compartmentalizes and excludes people as Mm -hmm. soon as we label something even if it's positively labeled there's going to be somebody that says no that means this to me right 
and just have some like reasonable agreements between us yeah of just base level language no making up terminology it's yeah. like i'm not going to kill you i love you i appreciate you i'm going to make sure you have what you need because if you have what you need and you're thriving so am i uh-huh absolutely it's automatic the fears you know the fears of like am i going to have enough money for this am i going to be able to feed myself am i going to you know they're so they're so internally driven it takes a lot of work and effort conscious effort to to realize that what you put out there you get back um, yeah. Sometimes it's not exactly in the form that you expected, and usually you should not expect. No, because what anything. does that lead to? What is expect? <laughs> More disappointment. Bingo! <laughs> this is where the sound effect comes in. I didn't use the sound effect oh, in the last use... show, but you're gonna get a ding, 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 ding. Get ding. one of those. That was easy buttons. Go. That was easy. <laughs> you know that's funny, and you know what I have? I had you know Love Revolution down the street, the sexy store. I saw the sign, but I've never been there. Oh, it's quite the store oh i'll have to check oh, it no. out anything that you could possibly think of that you would want associated with let's say sensuality uh-huh. for discovering your sensuality they pretty much have covered all the bases there yeah but they had a bell that said ring for sex Bling! What? which i bought and was going to take with me to thailand to give to boo because uh-huh. we fucked like crazy when i was there uh-huh. we actually tried to make a baby what? oh no i tried to make a baby with this woman Whoa. Yeah, well, I don't have any natural offspring. You know, uh-huh. n- not that it matters. I'm just saying, you know, my yeah. kids are adopted. I would never know what it would be like to That's have crazy. someone from my DNA. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's better that it's not duplicated at this point. But yeah. she seemed like the perfect person to do this with. And there was a certain level of compatibility. And, you know, uh, Thai women want little half white, half Asian babies. If you look at kids from. Any of the <laughs> Caucasian men that have gone to Thailand and married women and had children, they're adorable. Oh, I'm sure. Like, ridiculous. Well, like, my brother's wife, she's Alaskan Inuit, so she's Eskimo, which is an Asian, they're sure. Asian descent. Yeah. And he's this big, burly white dude. Yeah. And their kids are... Of course. Gorgeous. Of course. Yeah. So good, I, I good literally... genetics, too. I mean, they're health, really healthy kids. Well, and, you know, the Asian women hold this beauty uh, oh. a long time. I mean, they look like they're 20 until they're like 60. Well, she's 44, of course. When I met her, she was 44. And uh, Mm. it was four days before her 44th birthday is when I met her. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But we love to do that thing, and I I wasn't not trying. She would literally say, "Uh, give me your sperm. And I go, let's go. Let's have fun. I remember calling my dad saying, hey, Dad, uh, Boo and I are trying to have a baby. And him saying, hang on, I'll get your mother. He didn't even want to fucking talk to me anymore. He did not want to hear that his 55-year-old son is trying to make a baby. If it happened, it happened. Oh, no, no, I didn't. I was good either way. It didn't, you know, I'm just, I'm experimenting. Uh Uh-huh. Kids haven't been on my radar, and really, and only recently. And I mean, it's weird, too, because I'm in a place in my life that it would not be convenient at all. But only recently have I really thought, you know what? The right person, maybe, you know? I love your tattoos, by the way. They're beautiful. Who did that work? My friend Derek Riley, who lives in Yuba City now, but he used to work out of his... He was only 20 years old when he did these tattoos. And he did them out of his uh, his bedroom. Can you reasonably show me a little more, please? Yeah, so this is a... They're uh, they're both wrens. Oh, yeah, holding Um, keys. And I don't know if you read my post about the wren that I posted. I don't read anybody's shit. A wren visited me indoors um, last week and... Literally? Yeah, came into... This past week? This past week. How long have you had these tattoos? Since I was 28. 
And a wren showed up last week uh, yeah, in your bedroom? Uh, no, at the room I was staying at at my brother's. Oh. It was just interesting, my observation and the message of why she was there and how it all kind of went down. And I wrote, the, did this whole post about it. How do you know it was a girl? Well, she was there to visit me, and it was a female wren, I could tell. The bird very much represented where I was at. You know, it was like she she doesn't need the confinement of a house, and she is trying to escape, but she doesn't want me to save her. She doesn't want anyone to save her. She just wants to find her own way out. Uh. So with slight coercion, I led her to an op- a door that I had opened, and she flew upward in open flight. And then uh-huh. I thought, from here, you know, her only task is to gather small items to build herself a nest, and all she needs is a nest and her wings. And that the wings provide a security that a house never will. She can rely on her wings. Yeah. And just to, about being free and being okay with that. Letting go of all that other shit, basically. Right. So that was That's cool. very Jonathan Livingston Siegel of you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that kind of mirrors what you're going through transitionally yeah. of leaving yeah. the nest. And, well, and I think of the nest as a place to sleep. I mean, I need a nest and my wings. I don't need... Yeah. A whole lot. I mean, shelter doesn't provide the things that, you know, freedom or at least feeling comfortable enough in your own skin. Well, shelter could actually be a barrier between you and freedom sometimes. (laughs) Right now, it seems that way. Even though there is a part of myself as I'm entering my mid-30s feeling that a little more security might not be a bad thing for me at some point. Because I have been moving and bouncing around a lot all of my life. And I, you know, I think that also comes from spending most of my life traveling and never really being in the same place at the same time that I, I get very antsy and uncomfortable when things are too consistent right. and I'm sort of addicted to change, you know? Well, well that means that you have good flexibility too. Yes. But sometimes when I really need to be chill right. and I need to just stay in one place, it's very hard for me to well, do. Well, do the George Costanza opposite shit, man. Don't do the, <laughs> the Einstein's theory of insanity, uh-huh. which is, of course, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Uh, there is habitual behavior, the patterns there. Like, well, that's what I mean. But... Like, you can stop and go, oh, I would normally do this. Yeah. And now, because I stopped and thought about it, I can actually do that and see what happens by doing that versus this. Yeah. I'm trying to be just a little bit more refined. Like, just because the ball gets thrown to me doesn't mean I need to catch it. Because there's always opportunities. When you have a lot of skill, when you have multiple careers, paths, and things that you do, it can be very hard to make a decision of where to go for it. It's even harder than if you're just like, this is what I know, this is what I do, this is who I am. The only thing that is certain for me is the music thing. Everything else is secondary. What do you want to have happen? It would be amazing if I could get signed to a label and just get paid even a minimal amount of money just to, just sur- just to survive Yeah, and, and work sure. on music. Yeah. I mean, that's the dream, right? Yeah. I feel the same way. If this, what I'm doing with you right now, paid me just the minimal to yeah. take care of my expenses and throw Val some money yeah. and have a little bit of travel occasionally money. Look at my fucking apartment. It's adorable. It's tiny little <laughs> adorable place. It's perfect. Right. It's just like I the place you had in San Francisco. You always manifest exactly what you need. Yeah. <laughs> now, just what you need. But Not all, too much. No, but what I want to do now <laughs> is I want to take some of this earning potential and figure out how to monetize this that I'm doing a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. And so I can do more of this and less of working five p.m. to 5 a.m. in the morning mm-hmm. to pay my bills. Right. What about going back into photography? Well, it's not like just going back into accounting or right. waiting tables. Right. This is like... 
Like oh. what you were saying earlier, hey, produce me a, a potato or something. <laughs> we were in the car on the way back from picking up the posters for the show that I just put up with Jerry Solomon. We were talking about the music, and I said, ah, sing me a song. And I was joking, of course. And she goes, well, I can't do that right now, or maybe I'll do that at the show. Right, just when people put me on the spot, it's very difficult for me to just be like, okay, yeah, I'll just bust out a song right So now. what I told her was, you ask someone what they do, they say, well, I work at the grocery store. I said, well, produce a fucking tomato. Do what you right. do. Pay me a picture like, right now. You drive a bus. Oh, I need a ride. Perfect. Right, you know, right now. Give me a ride. Fix my car. You're a mechanic. <laughs> but I was kidding when I told you to say to- No, I know. I, I know you were. I was just joking. Because he knows me well enough to know that I'd be like, no. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> That's fine. I get that. I get that. So uh, you're here now, and you're not in Ashland, though. So no. So I'm at my mom's in Phoenix, which is nearby, you know, and um, I am held over at her house, essentially. I do have options in San Francisco. I have places I can sublet, places I can stay. It's not like I can't be there but it, is it necessary right now and I thought you know, I was going to come up here for a minute because to see family go up to Portland see my brother see my dad hang out it doesn't really make sense for me to go somewhere where it costs you know five dollars for an iced tea when I could be somewhere where it costs me a dollar I mean basically everything is cheaper here even like Walgreens is about half everything's half the price I mean it makes more sense for me and reasonable sense for me to hang here for a minute right so you don't smoke weed do you I smoke CBD weed pretty much every day and then I do the uh, but that's not you don't you're not smoking THC so you're not smoking weed it's marijuana yeah it's cannabis it's it is actually it's a sativa this one is a sativa it just doesn't have any THC I don't know how they did it it won't even show up on a on a a drug test really it's a special strain I don't know so we had a lovely lunch today yes we went to Ruby's I love Ruby's and last night we went and had dinner at Tot. Tot. So we've been catching up. Yeah, catching up, hanging out, eating. We yes. hung flyers together, my little posters for my show. Yeah. That was super fun. We got some <laughs> ice cream. What's the name of that place? The ice Mix. cream place? So those popsicles, they're they're vegan fudge sickles that are made out of coconut water and chocolate and they're, yeah, they're fucking un- brilliant. Dude. Fucking believable. The yeah. best fudge sickle I've ever had. When were you born? Eighty three. I got married in 83. When's your birthday? December 20th. Yes, I was already married three months when you popped out of your mom. (laughs) That's ridiculous. (laughs) So you've known me most of your adult life, Mm -hmm. and I was married most of my adult life, starting with my adult life when I was 20. That's now that's, yeah, a very different path than the path I chose. Oh my, yes. Now, would I be opposed to getting married at some point? I don't know. You know, but it's definitely not been in the cards thus far. I came close. I came close twice in Thailand. That's crazy. The first time was really crazy. I was really sucked into the culture where, what I say is, they have cultural handcuffs. These girls, first of all, they maybe have been with one person their whole life. Mm-hmm. They don't sleep around. There's no casual sex, really, other than Right, that's what you mentioned. It's like, it's, not, it's all or nothing. No, of. it's very traditional, yeah. you know. They're, again, they're fundamentally Buddhist and very traditional people. And yeah. And they take that all very seriously. There's not a lot of fun and frill involved. Right. And, uh, I mean, that's good and bad or whatever. You can judge it however you want. But, so, the women I was with, I mean, they'd only been with one other man uh-huh. in their lives. And these are women in their 30s and 40s. Sounds... They're not little kids. Yeah, so that's interesting. So in terms of pleasure for them, you were saying it's not common 
for, you know, I mean, again, if they're only slept with, like, one man, then they're probably have not experienced a whole lot of pleasure. In the I don't think so. Oh, and as a matter right? of fact, I asked all three women if what is said about Thai men is true, and they, they said yes, uh-huh. it is true. All three of them said. I'm not saying every Thai man is emotionally immature. Of course. The, the general population uh, dictates that these are very unhappy females and live unhappy uh, married lives. Yeah. And just are going through the cyclical motion of just, you know, what we do. We start families, we have babies, and in this culture, this is how people are. Yeah. And, and the men are this way, and the women are this way. Mm-hmm. And they're having children, so they're repeating the cycle constantly, and it's not getting any better. It might be getting worse, actually, potentially. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, culture's got a pretty strong grip on these people. Yeah. I mean, I wow. was very judgmental in many ways when I, and even my friend David Yeager said, man, you're not in your fucking world, dude. This is somebody else's world. They operate differently. You mm-hmm. have to have respect. It is what it what is. These, have, these people have going on. You cannot impose your American will mm-hmm. on them. And that's where a lot totally. of the difficulty was with me because two of my relationships were what I considered very serious moving on to the level of ultimate commitment. And uh, I had this super concentrated experience. All my friends, teacher friends in Thailand said that I did more in five months than people they knew that had been, lived there 10 years mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that I just fucking got in and was doing did it. it. Yeah. And, and it was awesome. I loved every facet of my experience. I had some very Burning Man type things uh-huh. happen oh, there. Yeah. You're in a different world. Well, that's it. Like going to Burning Man, as soon as you pull up on the playa, it's like, what fucking planet is this? Yeah. And it looks really fun. <laughs> of course it really is. Like It's a playground, but it's but also, it's also it's some yeah. heavy shit. It's it's pretty trippy. Yeah. yeah and you is. just went for your first time? Last year, yeah. And I, I mean, I, like I said, I don't know if I'll be back. It's, I'm not opposed to it. I'm also not on a witch hunt to make it happen. So, I mean, uh-huh. I knew people that had gone for 20 yeah, yeah. years, every year. Right. And I thought, okay, cool. I'll just skip a year and then I'll do it every other year. And I did, 04 and 06. Right. You yeah. got everything you needed. Even though it, it can never be the same repeated, it's impossible, of course. Of course. But there are similarities, meaning, you know, you're going to pull up on the playa. Uh You know, you're going to see people dressed You know it's going to be intense. You know there's going to be cool cars (laughs) driving around. You know there's going to be some some insanity. It's going to be art. Yeah, lots of cool art. What I gained from Burning Man in my one experience was probably enough to last me a lifetime. I don't know that... I I mean, I really don't need to go back. Um, I don't think anybody does. If I'm willed to return, if it it so happens, I'm not going to push for it. It has to happen organically. There's no way that I'm going to, like, make big plans. People who are really good friends who go out there end up having bad shit. And people that don't know each other end up forming these bonds. And and I even had... There were some people that I kind of knew from San Francisco that, like, like once we hung out at Burning Man, we were like fucking brother and sister, sister, sister. Like right. now we're just like tight homies, like we've known each other, or right. you know. And even though we knew each other, we weren't close, and now we're close. So it bring it really brings you together or divides you in certain See, ways. And you know? you know what? That's Ashland. <laughs> no, that is no doubt Ashland. Yeah, that's why there is so much it's divorce a weird here. Place here. Well, this is the highest concentration of burners come from Ashland in the world. Really? Per capita of population. Not San Francisco, where no. it started? No. Baker Beach? No. Okay. No. This place right here is where everybody starts leaving. And not as much now, but I remember back in the yeah. day. Yeah. You would hear like a pin drop around this town. Everybody kind of pilgrimaged down here at the same time. Yeah. And gone for a couple of weeks, because mm-hmm. these are not just burners who go there to party. These are people that Artists. work yeah. and, and provide art San and do Francisco, all kinds. San Francisco, same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. 
Um, I'm not saying there's... I remember that from my early days here as well. And I mean, I went to the El Circo parties. Tiffa has since passed, which is really sad. I don't know if you were around for that or if you ever went to their parties. Tiffa and Diego were sort of the the beginner burner crew, like early to mid-90s burner crew from here. And they used to do parties and she made a costume for me once that was amazing. And she, I mean, she was just incredibly talented person and she was one of the very first like Burning Man designers she kind of made it a thing she did the fashion shows you know they had Diego with DJ and I mean the parties were off the charts right that was really wild yeah. times and that's I took my first hit of ecstasy up on the up on the mountain during a lunar eclipse huh. um that was a, a trip that's where I met my first photographer that lived here that was obsessed with taking pictures of me who's the person um he went by Hugh Jorgensen was what it was his uh huh. his photography name so we talked about you maybe going to Berlin or London. Yeah, so at this or... point, you know, I mean, our conversation last night was good because um, I got to thinking, you know, I don't, I don't need to limit myself to L.A., especially if, if there isn't a lot of movement there. I've been applying right. for jobs. I've been talking to people. I'm going to go down there next week. I'm going to spend a week there. I'm going to really feel it out and see if it is really where I want to be. I feel like it is. Something's been calling me there for about a year now. It's been in the back of my head. I've written songs about it. It's like very, it's at the forefront and then... And there's been those winks, you know, whenever I am down in L.A., I get major winks. Um, I wrote a song called Home Sweet Home that's all about moving to L.A., but the song itself is about my relationship with San Francisco. Mm. And when I was down there staying at my friend's house, she was out of town, but I was in her house, in her kitchen. There was a giant framed picture on the wall that said Home Sweet Home. And I thought, huh. Huh. <laughs> wink, wink. Mm, wink. Lots of winks. I'm going to kind of keep testing the waters and see what happens, but... um. I'm so open to the possibility of going overseas. I mean, that to me is even way, way more enticing. Of course, I do have a dog, so that makes it a little more challenging. I mean, she would have to live with someone else while I'm gone. Yeah. Or if there is a way to get her over there, maybe. But that would be hard, I think. I don't know. But because she is like my child, I want to just like leave her behind, it, you know, unless it was on a temporary basis. My best friend, you know, he has talked about getting a dog and if he gets her re-registered. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of things that could happen, but um, right now the focus is going to be L.A. for a minute. See what happens there. What kind of jobs have you applied for there? It's been mostly recruiting stuff, which, you know, I don't really want to do anymore so I can see why the resistance is, is there. Sure. Because of where my experience is and my resume, it's it's slightly challenging to be like, hey, you know, I also do this and this and this. Right. I, I've been staging houses in San Francisco for the last few months, and that that's new to me. I'm brand new at it, so I'm, I'm not super experienced, but I love it. And that's I love getting houses ready for sale. Mm-hmm. To show. And that's a huge, there's a huge market for that in sure. LA. Tons of real estate, tons of estate management, you know, property related stuff. And I think that, you know, it'd be a great niche. And I actually, my friend that lives down there, he's been more part of the moving crews that are involved in staging, but he's been helping in staging. So he's kind of there. And then I have friends that work in real estate, friends who are in property management. So I feel like there is a connection, possible connection. I don't have a car though. So it'd be a little hard to get around because I'd have to get from, right. you know, from house to house and LA's huge. It's not like San Francisco yeah. where you can just take a lift to where you're going. Yeah. But I absolutely love it. It's extremely physical work and extremely rewarding. You know, at the end of the day, it's just when you're done, it just, it's awesome. It's fun. You know, everything right. looks nice. Right. And, I mean, it's cool. It's creative. It, yeah. And I mean, then by the end of the day, you're like exhausted, which is a good feeling instead yeah. of sitting behind the computer and being exhausted because your, your energy is drained from mentally, mentally, cubicle. not physically, yeah. which is not in our healthy for human right. beings at all. I like to keep that up and maybe even just come in as a, an assistant. I mean, I'm not even, I don't need to make that much money. I just want to learn and make enough to sustain myself just 
that would be ideal. And it's also so flexible that I could work on music to the degree that I want to. And I'd like to make a little bit of money on top of whatever so that I can start investing in more equipment because I really would like to not have to rely on other people for the, for some of the music components. Right. I'd like to get, you know, Logic 8, Ableton, Reason, Pro Tools even, just all the tools that I possibly can, but right. preferably just Logic and really start making my own music and beats right. outside of the guitar and the keyboard because right. I'm limited there, so... Speaking of, there's a thing right there. Yeah. <laughs> you know how to do that? To play that? Yeah. Yeah. Here, you want to sit down? Sure.
Okay, so let's do our sign-off. Yeah. So I'm very impressed that our relationship has actually stood the test of time. We've <laughs> gone off in our different directions and mm -hmm. done our things. And we always, even though it may be years before we reconnect, mm -hmm. we always reconnect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And you're very sweet. You always wish me a happy birthday on my birthday. <laughs> no, you're one of the only ones who actually does that. Really? My own fucking kids don't even do that. No, no. <laughs> you are the one who wishes me a happy birthday every year. Aww. And I, I totally appreciate that. Aww. And I appreciate you. And appreciate you, too. I'm glad you called me to let me know you were here, because there's no fucking way I would have known you. Yeah. Here, yeah, no. I'm really glad that you are here and that we can reconnect. It's awesome. Done. Love you. Love you, too. Well, that's the show. It was great to spend time with Allison. She really is a fantastic young woman, and uh, I look forward to seeing what she does with her life. I really uh, hope that she can blow up the music thing. What was cool while she was here was, after the show, I think it was on a Sunday we uh, recorded the show, she and I went to an open mic at the Goose, and I went ahead and played piano to back her up on that one song. Uh, that I played with her on the show uh, live, which was super fun. And I had not been out in a very long time. And there's nothing better than showing up at a place where you haven't been in a long time with an absolutely stunning human being on your arm. Gene Burnett was there. It was great to see him. Uh, that's where I caught up a little bit uh, with uh, Jeff Stanley. And his family was there. And he performed with his family, which was absolutely awesome. And we just had a really good time. And uh, it reminds me that I, I do need to get out once in a while and play music. It was really fun. So I think Allison is in LA, but I'm never too sure. She's kind of all over the place doing her thing. Still have 
the strep throat, and uh, and I feel better. Uh, I definitely feel better. The antibiotics have, have definitely taken the edge off of it, and the uh, hydrocodone uh, business has been fun for the pain. And I only have a couple left, so I have to use them wisely. Uh, and there's nothing better than some hydrocodone uh, uh, followed by a couple of drags uh, off the vape pen of some high THC content cannabis. Nice mix. Uh, I appreciate your patronage. I love uh, that you're listening to the show. I love making the show for you, for me, for us. Uh, I hope you have a great week and uh, many blessings to you, as they say in Ashland. Namaste, motherfucker, and shit like that. And word to your mother's uncle. Beautiful eggs are 44, for my baby wants more. I am Citizen 44.